All right. Hey, take out your Bibles, please. Tonight is a Bible study. Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament. We're in 2 Kings chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. 2 Kings 18. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you, please, after the service. We, as we mentioned last time, we are in a period of the history of the children of Israel over 200 years removed from the reign of Solomon, the son of David. After Solomon reigned as king over the nation of Israel, the nation split into two as we talked. And we pointed out and studied and followed through the, the history of both the northern tribes of Israel, the southern tribes of Judah, the kings that were over each one of those. We've gone back and forth. We've talked that the kings over the northern tribes of Israel, there was not one king that ever followed the Lord and, and led the the. the the inhabitants of the tribes of Israel, the northern ten tribes, to follow the Lord. And we saw last time in chapter 17 that the Lord finally brought judgment after warning, after warning, after warning through the prophets, finally brought judgment on the northern tribes through the, through the kingdom of Assyria who came down and brutal, brutality. They, they ruled a lot by fear. And they came in and carried away the tribes, the tribes of Israel and dispersed them throughout the rest of their conquered world and then brought in other inhabitants that they had conquered from other areas and settled them into the northern tribes. And as has happened oftentimes in 2 Kings, we'll, we'll, it'll, the author brings us a little bit and then we jump back and we take a look at what's going on in Judah now and we jump back a little bit. So I'll try to navigate through that, especially now as we come into chapters 18, 19, and 20. And I mentioned this last time because even in the southern tribes of Judah, we have had the kings, not, not, not one of them that ran perfectly following the Lord, some good kings. Some bad kings, some started good and finished bad. Some started bad, finished good. But we come to this one now that we're going to look at in these three chapters, 18, 19, and 20. We'll see how far we get tonight. Finishing up, Lord willing, next week, if, if what we don't finish up tonight, looking at the reign of King Hezekiah. We see as we begin in chapter 18, now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi or Abijah, as we see in 2 Chronicles, her full name Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse 3, he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And here in verse 4 is, again, now we're going to see the difference. This is what sets Hezekiah different as apart from all the other kings to this point in Judah. Notice verse 4, he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. The previous kings that we saw, even, even the good kings that we've seen, Asa and Jehoshaphat and Uzziah and Jotham, those good kings, remember there was always that little asterisk after it said that they followed after the Lord, but not like David did fully because they left the high places. 
they did not remove the high places. And we'll see that as a little bit later. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. But they had not done that. But here we see Hezekiah. He removes the high places. He breaks down the sacred pillars and cuts down the Asherah. These, are even, these had come back through his father's reign. His father was an evil king, a wicked king, and had even closed up the temple. If you remember last time, he brought back after the, the Syrian king and he saw the, the altar that was built up in Damascus, he brings that, that back and has another one built just like it moves the altar that the Lord told him how to make it. It moves that, eventually closes up, gets rid of the priesthood. I mean, totally turning away from the Lord. Following the Baals and the Asherah and the, all of these other gods, even offering his sons to Molech, if you'll remember last time. I mean, horrible king. Well, these Asherah poles have been erected up in, the, up in the hills as well. So he cuts all of that down. So he takes, eliminates and wipes out all of the obvious idolatry that was in the land. But notice also this in verse 4. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan or a thing of bronze. Now here we see something, the blatant idolatry that was outlined that we saw the Asherah and these other idols. But here we see something that he even recognized is subtle idolatry perhaps, but also wiping that out. What is this bronze serpent that Moses had made? Well, back in Numbers chapter 21, the story is told to us there that the, the, the sins of Israel, they were, think they were in the wilderness, and they started complaining, as we saw many times, that things were going well, but then all of a sudden they started complaining, oh, God brought us out here into the wilderness, what, are we just going to die out here, and oh, there's not enough water, and oh, it's just manna every morning, manna in the morning, manna in the evening, it's just manna, 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 you know, complaining. <laughs> and God sent, tells us that these fiery serpents were sent in, and it, when they bit the, somebody, they would die from that. It was painful, and they would die from the bite. So they come, and they come to Moses, and they, they're repentant. We deserve this, but pray, intercede to God on our behalf. So God tells them to make this bronze serpent and to put it up in the middle of the camp, and whoever will just simply look upon that serpent when they are bitten will be healed. Total act of faith that they are to just look upon the serpent and they are healed. A great foreshadowing of Jesus just to look upon the cross for us. But this, that's what happened. But then they began to worship it, it tells us. That they began now, going all the way back to then, here we are hundreds of years removed from that, but the children of Israel are still worshiping this bronze serpent. Hezekiah, the first one to recognize that this is idolatry. Even in that, that they are now worshiping this bronze serpent who back then God used as a symbol to look for, but not something to be worshiped, never intended for that. And we have such a tendency in that in our flesh to see something or someone even representing God, something very godly or good, and to worship that thing. And the Lord said, you are not to worship any type of idol, any type of man-made object, whether it represents the Lord or not, not to worship anything like that. And he sees this, he sees the danger in it, he sees what has become of it, and he destroys that as well. Verse 5, 
he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him, there was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. None other like him in the the kings of Judah. He clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. It tells us in 2 Chronicles, it's interesting, it, just t- it goes through these first six verses here talking of this, what takes three chapters in 2 Chronicles to discuss all of the things that, that Hezekiah did. It tells us that in the first month, I mean immediately when he becomes king, he begins this process. He doesn't wait around. I can only imagine that as he saw his father and how his father ruled, knowing how quickly he got into it, how this must have just grieved his heart. He loved God. And, and we don't know how the, how the Lord worked in that because his father being so wicked and all of the, the, we saw the priest last time that took direction from his father to install this idolatry that was going on on the temple. We saw that happen. So where did he get that influence? Quite probably from his mother, but we don't know for sure, but he loved the Lord. Must have grieved him to see his father and the nation going the way it was. So when he was put in as king in the first month, he went about changing everything, getting it right, focusing on the Lord. It tells us in, as we look through Second Chronicles, you can do that on, on your own, but he repaired and he reopened the temple. He commanded the priests to go in and consecrate themselves first, but then go through and put back everything the way it's supposed to be, the way that God set it up to be done. He reinstated the priests and consecrated them, but then he also reinstituted the Passover and sent that throughout, that they had to do all the proper preparations for it, but then he even went a step further and sent out invitations throughout the entire land of Israel, even up into the northern area, even though they were, they, many of them had probably, by, by, in this time, underneath all of this, this oppression that is starting to come from Assyria, sent it out up there. Unfortunately, it tells us that most of them rejected. They laughed at him. They, they scorned him for even sending it. But some did come. And so for the first time in over 200 years since Solomon was king, some from the northern tribes came down and they celebrated the Passover as it was designed to be celebrated. And it tells us at the end of chapter 31 in 2 Chronicles, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good, right and true before the Lord. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God in law and commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prosper. Tells us back in 2 Kings that in the Lord was with him because he trusted in the Lord, because he clung to the Lord. I love the, the picture there again. Seeking after the Lord, clinging to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. It says, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. The Lord blessed him as he followed him. The Lord, the Lord poured out his grace upon him as he ruled following the Lord. He rebelled, tells us in verse 7, against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. We saw back in chapter 16 that his father, even after Isaiah came to him and told him that the Lord will deliver him if he will simply trust in the Lord, he didn't, made a deal with Assyria and and followed, followed that path and then 
bringing themselves under subjection of Assyria, promising to send them money and all of that. Well, we see here now that he's in charge of that, trusting in the Lord. He cuts that off. He goes to battle. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now, verse 9, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And we looked at this last time, but here it's being put chronologically in the reign of Hezekiah. At the end of three years, they captured it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was captured. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and put them in Halah and at Habor and the river of Gojan and the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they would not listen nor do it. Here we see the opposite picture. We see it, it point laid out for us that as, as God promised, if you follow me with all of your heart, if you obey my commandments, if you, we see here, cling to me and trust in me, you will be blessed. You, you will have my protection. I will watch over you. But he also said, if you turn from me, if you follow the foreign gods, if you do those things, you will face my wrath. You will be overcome. And we see that here. It's laid out why this happened, because they didn't listen to the voice of the Lord. They transgressed his covenant. Transgression means a, a willingness to turn away, a willful disobedience. And notice it says they would not listen nor do it. Not that they could not, they would not. They refused to listen to the word or to follow the word of the Lord. So just to recap again, the northern tribes taken away into captivity. Verse 13, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah. So we're jumping ahead 10 years. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, we have a new king in Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. We, there are some historical records that indicate Assyrian records that there were upwards of 41 cities that they had captured on their way down now because they're moving down from the northern tribes of Israel to take over the southern tribes of Judah. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, I'm going to try to follow, go take you through a little chronology here that is a little bit fuzzy. There is some disagreement on the, chron the chronological order of events that take place here. So I want to try to navigate this a little bit. But here we see, obviously, we're, we're 10 years from where this all started, where we looked at in the fourth year. We saw that. Now we're in the 14th year. Israel is gone. They're starting to move down south. And we had said already that Hezekiah had already cut off. He wasn't paying this, this, this tribute anymore to Assyria. Assyria now comes against them, and his initial response, we don't see that he prays. We don't see that he goes to the Lord. We will see that later. He does later on, but here we don't. His initial reaction is, how can I somehow appease them, make a deal with them? Notice 
the response, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. That's 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. I did a quick little math today, and at today's rates, that's about $50 million just to buy off for now. Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave them to the king of Assyria. So he had to tap into his own resources, all of this stuff, but then also strip the gold off of the doors and and everything in the temple to buy off the enemy coming here. And guys, just he finds out and we find out. Guys, you can't make a deal with the enemy. Can't ever make a deal with the enemy. Can't make a deal with the en- our flesh. Can't make a deal with the world. Because they'll take everything you have and then demand more. Just, that's just the way it works. And we see that here. Notice verse, verse 17. Then, after this is done, then the king of Assyria sent Tartan, Reb Saras, and Reb Shekha from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a large army to Jerusalem. These are titles, not names of, of men. These are the titles in, in this, the, the leaders of the armed forces and, and the cabinet, if you would, for the king of Assyria. He sends them to Jerusalem. So they went up and came to Jerusalem, and when they went up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway of the Fuller's Field. Now, if you were here last time, you may not remember, but remember in Isaiah chapter 7, we looked at when previously Isaiah went and talked to Hezekiah's dad Ahaz. This is where he went and met him. At this same spot, at this Fuller's Field, or leading to the Fuller's Field, where now the, the armies of, of Assyria have come, along with now these three representatives and they're gonna, the king Hezekiah is going to send out three representatives to meet them. When they called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. So here they come and, into this meeting. Now, I said earlier that the, the chronology may be a little bit off as far as to how it goes in the order. And... You know what, hang on a second. I want to come back to that. Hold that thought. Verse 19, then Reb Shekha, he's going to be the main spokesman that we're going to see as we move through our story, said to them, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? We're going to see as we, this exchange goes back and forth, there's a lot of things that we can learn about dealing with the enemy, about hearing what the enemy comes at us with. Here again now the enemy coming against the, the, the nation of Judah and specifically against King Hezekiah. Notice what it says. What is this confidence that you have? Who do you think you are anyway? Saying that you're not going to pay tribute to us, saying that you're going to somehow come out from underneath us, now thinking that, oh, now you can just say you're sorry and send this little thing. Who do you think you are anyway? The mind games that are started. We're going to see these going back and forth. And this is just a reminder for me and for you. Guys, we can never forget that our mind is a battlefield. The enemy wants it. The Lord should have it. <laughs> it tells, you know, by the renewing of our mind, 
as we continually study through the Scriptures, the renewing of our mind. And the enemy's going to continue to throw those darts. He's going to throw those doubts. He's going to continue to come in. Who do you think you are anyway? This is going to be, we'll see this big intimidation that they try to do here. You say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Who are you relying on, this confidence that you had? Notice first, he says, now behold, if you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it, so is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him. Basically, Judah and Egypt are all that's left that are still could stand against Assyria as it comes. And his first response is, are you going to lean on Egypt? That would be like leaning on a broken reed. It's gonna, first of all, it's not going to be able to hold you, and it's going to stab you in the hand as you do it. Just kind of mocking that. If that's what you're thinking, that's not going to happen. But that's not what they were thinking. That wasn't the problem. He says now, verse 21, now behold, oh, I'm sorry, verse 22. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. So he's saying, you're going to rely on your God? You're going to rely on the Lord your God? Isn't this the same God that Hezekiah has torn down all of his places of worship? Now, I make a point of that because remember, that was the, we highlighted that at the beginning. That's the one thing that Hezekiah did that all the other kings didn't do. And here he is now trying to quote, trying to bring something back, trying to say something that, that, that you're going to follow this King Hezekiah. Remember, he's not speaking to Hezekiah directly. He's speaking to his representatives, and we're going to see in a moment that there's all sorts of people sitting up on the wall listening. So he's now saying this out there, and that's why it's so important, guys, so important to know God's Word, to know what God's Word says. Because if we simply just listen to men, and a man talks you into something, a man can talk you out of something. If we don't understand and know the word ourselves, we talked of this a couple of weeks ago on the weekend. That's what set the Bereans apart, remember? They didn't just take what Paul said and said, oh, well, if Paul said it. They went and studied the scriptures themselves. See, back in Deuteronomy chapter 12, It tells us the Lord laying out the rules for worship for the Jewish people when they came into the promised land. It says, these are the statutes and judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispose serve their God. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and burn their ashram with fire, and you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their names from that place. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all of the tribes to establish his name for his dwelling, and there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contributions of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, your firstborn of your herd and your flock. There you also, you and your household, shall eat before the Lord and rejoice 
at the hands as he blessed you. You shall do all what you, I'm sorry, you shall not do what you are doing here today where every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. For you have not yet come to the resting place in the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. When you cross the Jordan, live in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. It gives you the rest from your enemies around you and, all, and you all live in security. Then it shall come about to that place where the Lord your God chooses for his name to dwell. There you shall bring. And he did that in, in Jerusalem. In verse 13, he said, Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see, but in the place which the Lord God chooses in one of your tribes. So the Lord makes it very clear in his word that those places should have never existed. So Hezekiah wipes him out. Here's somebody from the outside. If they weren't paying attention, if they didn't know God's word, sitting up on the wall, they could be saying, yeah, you know what? Our parents always worship there, and our grandparents always worship there. And we've done this forever. This is tradition. This is the way we've always done it. That must be right. And if you don't know the word of God, it could have easily led down that way. That's why, again, guys, it's so important. The enemy, the enemy's going to lie. The enemy's going to try to trick and deceive. That's what he's always done. Verse 23, now, therefore, come make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able to set riders on them. How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? He's mocking here. He's saying, I tell you what, we'll even make a deal with you. If you want to try to do this thing, if you want to try to come out and fight, we'll even give you horses. We'll, give you, we'll even give you one of our generals. We'll give you one of the least of our generals. We'll, we'll send Barney Fife over to you. And, and you can take him and, and all of these horses, and you can even go get Egypt. And come on, and we'll wipe you out. Verse 25, have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, here we go. Here's one that's now saying, God said, the Lord told me. And again, if we don't know the, the word of God, if we're not connected, if we're not hearing from God ourselves, we can be easily led astray by somebody who just comes along and sounds, hey, I got a word from the Lord. Lord said to me. That's why it's so important. This is, this is where I want to plug in the chronology here, the possible difference. Turn with me a couple of chapters over to chapter 20. And I will say that it is in this order in 2 Chronicles as well as Isaiah. But most believe that chapter 20, what we're going to look at right now, actually has already taken place prior to the, the, where we sit when we, when we just saw in the 14th year of Hezekiah that this happened somewhere between the 9th and the 14th year. It says, chapter 20, in those days Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth with my whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out in the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, 
Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you from this city, from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my, sa- my servant David's sake. So here we see that, that he becomes ill. Isaiah says, you're going to die from it. He prays, and the Lord answers the prayer and said, I will extend your life. And not only that, I will deliver you from the hand of the Assyrians, and I will rescue the city. So back to our verse 25, and we'll cover chapter 20 as we read through it. But I said, armed with that promise, he knows that what Rebshakeh is saying here is not true. Armed with the promise that he knows, God said, we will have victory. He promised that we're going to have victory here. Not just true because somebody said, hey, the Lord told me. Make, seek the Lord yourself. Get in the word yourself. Verse 26, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Speak now to your servants in Aramaic. Remember, all of this is taking place in earshot from a whole bunch of people sitting up on the wall. These three that are the messengers coming out from Hezekiah, a little concerned about that, that they're hearing all of this stuff. He says, so speak to us in Aramaic. Speak to us in your language because we understand it. They don't. And do not speak in Judean or Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall so they don't understand what we're saying here. But Reb said to them, has my master sent me only to your master and to speak, the, to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you. Yikes. They're, they're saying, again, they're going to besiege the city. They're going to close everything off so that they don't have any food or water and starve them out. That's what they were planning on. So they're doing this again to strike fear. And that's again, one of the enemy's tactics to strike fear in our hearts. Then Reb Shekha stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us in this city, will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and eat each from his vine, and each from his fig tree, and eat, eat, drink each from the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Man, doesn't that just just sound like the enemy going all the way back to the beginning? You're not going to die. Come and follow me. You're going to live and not die. God's holding out on you. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He can't save you. He can't give you what what you want. The promise that if you simply indulge in this, Follow after this. Notice what he says. You, 
We'll take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain, new wine, a land of bread, vineyards, olive trees, honey. You'll live and not die. The problem is he's not telling them you'll be slaves. You will be slaves to us. That's the one thing the enemy always leaves out. That's the one thing sin doesn't tell you up in front. That you take this, oh yeah, it'll be pleasurable for a moment, but then you're going to be a slave to it. That's what the enemy promises. But can, and, and the world promises all of these things, but can't deliver. And then you're a slave to that. Causing questioning. and He goes on. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where the gods of ha- where are the gods of Hamath and Arbad? Where are the gods of Sepharavim and Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the, the, the lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And here he starts getting into, and we'll see this as we continue to study through, but here now he's, he's really calling it out. He's saying, look at all around. Look at all of these other gods. They haven't been able to deliver them. What makes you think that your God will be able to deliver you from my hand? Well, I don't know, because he's the real, true, and living God, and all of those other gods are just stone and wood and, and, and man's creation. But the people, verse 36, were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Now I want to jump over to 2 Chronicles because there's a piece of this that we're, that we're missing in the story that's kind of an important piece that's taken place somewhere, in the, in the, again, in the chronology. In chapter 32, it says, after these acts of faithfulness. What acts of faithfulness? Well, remember the first three chapters that I told you in, the, that we, in 2 Chronicles 29, 30, 31, in there. Those chapters that outlined all of the things that Hezekiah did when he became king from the first month all the way through where he restored all of the, all of the things to the way they were, reinstated Passover, all of those things, serving the Lord. After these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. Now Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to make war on Jerusalem. He decided with his officers and with his warriors to cut off the supply of water from the springs which are outside the city, and they helped him. So many people assembled and stopped up all the springs from the stream which flowed through the region, saying, why should the king of Assyria come and find abundant water? And he took courage and rebuilt the wall and all that had been broken down and erected towers on it and built another outside wall and strengthened the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in great number. He appointed military officers over the people and gathered them to the him in the square in the city gate, and spoke encouragingly to them. So we see that Hezekiah was also a great leader militarily and within the city in the structure. We see an unbelievable engineering feat that takes place. It's mentioned in, back in 2 Kings chapter 20, just mentioned, but it's still there today. 
We don't go when we go to Israel because it's, you got to walk through it like waist deep and, and it's cold and wet. And I, but Hezekiah's tunnel's still there. The tunnel that goes underneath the city to the water source. So that even if they did besiege or put a siege around the city to where no water could come in, they had an endless supply of water right there inside the city from the fresh springs that come up and fed in underneath the city to, b- b- with Hezekiah's tunnel is what it's called. And then they stopped up the springs that were leading outside the city saying, why should we give them water that, th- that are out there, the ones that are coming to do us harm? So all of that, but I stopped where I did for a reason because it wasn't any of those things that the reason that they're sitting on the wall and not saying anything. Not because they think, ha we got more water than they think we do. We'll be fine. It wasn't because of all the military preparations and everything that they had. Notice, it, if you turn there, follow along. If not, verse 7 of Second Chronicles 32. He was encouraging the people saying, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battle. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. It wasn't anything of these other preparations and all of these other things that had been done. It was because of that promise. Because they are the children of God. And because he promised that he would be with them. He promised. He was great. Who is with us is greater than he is in the world. That's a promise we still have. That we own even more as Christians. Because we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. This mystery, as Paul says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. It doesn't matter. As Christians, it doesn't matter what the enemy tries to bring at us. The intimidation, the lies, the things that keep, the enemy keeps coming. As we stand in victory, it's already won. We tell you this, we fight from a position of victory. The enemy can scream and roar and do anything he wants. And he won't stop doing that. He won't stop doing that. Well, let's see how far we can get into 19 here. People were silent because, because they, they believed Hezekiah and more than believing Hezekiah, they believed the Lord. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the ones that were out there meeting with them, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rebshekah. Chapter 19, and then King Hezekiah heard it, and he tore his clothes. So he's hearing the report now, and covered himself with sackcloth and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and with Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, for the children have have come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rebshekah, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. 
So the servants of the king of Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So here we see, just like we looked this last week, Paul, when even you know, the great apostle Paul faced fear, even knowing the promises of the Lord, even knowing the things of God, still faced fear, even having all of these promises and being the, being the spokesman that's out there and saying these things to the people, when it came right to it and seeing out there, still had fear. Still had an idea, okay, what do we do now? God promised, but now what? And I love this as we see it play out here, and we'll see over this week and next. The first thing that he does is seek others and to pray. To go to the house of the Lord, it's time, rubber's meeting the road, and here we go, the promises of God. But now when it's facing out there, it's easy to claim the promises, it's easy to come together when, hey, everything's going great. Man, all of a sudden, here it is. There's the enemy right there. We know that there is at least 185,000 soldiers out there. At least 185,001. Because we know at least one gets away and 185,000 don't. If you haven't read ahead, read ahead. We know there's at least that many. And again, they are notorious for how they treat their prisoners. They when they would come and they would take over people and they would lead them away, they would put hooks in their jaws to lead them. You don't need to do a whole lot more than stick a hook through somebody's jaw. They're going to go exactly where you want them, they want you to go. And they Brutal, the way that they treated the people that they kept. And all of a sudden, now here they are. So what does he do? He says, go get Isaiah. <laughs> go get Go, go talk to the, the, the man of God. Go to the godly. Guys, when we're facing those times, when we're facing that fear, when that does come to us, that's why it's so important. The Bible says don't do this thing alone. Don't give up meeting together. We're not supposed to walk this thing alone. The Bible says bear one another's burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. Reach out to godly brothers and sisters and say, I need you to pray with me. Pray, pray with me for this. I'm going through this battle. This doesn't seem that, you know, I, I'm facing it. I'm up against it. Pray with me. And that's what we see is going on here in the great, a great word that we would have. The Lord lays that on you. Somebody comes to you as you're praying. The Lord lays something on your heart. Share that. One of the blessings, if you haven't been a part, I've mentioned this week, our encounter, we're going down to the state capitol. But that's one of the blessings of getting together and praying together, seeking the Lord together, is the Lord will lay us a word on your heart for someone else. And when he does, be obedient and share that. I have been blessed many times when somebody will come up and say, you know, I've been praying for you. And the Lord's just really impressed it on my heart. And share that. Such a blessing. And here we see that, that that's what happens with Isaiah. Isaiah Speaking boldly now, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard. The enemy's a liar. With the servants of the king of Assyria, they have blasphemed. Notice me. 
they've come against you, Hezekiah. They're coming against that. But understand what they're really coming against. (laughs) They're coming against Almighty God. It It can look really bad on the outside, but understand who stands with you. We're going to have to have the to be continued inserted right there because I can't. Yeah, I'm going to have to have to leave it right there because I can't get the next section is going to take too long to go any further with. So to be continued. But here's what I will. I encourage you read ahead because this is this is this is awesome and just to see how God answers. Because I purposely left it out. I was going to insert it in here somewhere, but I'm going to put, because I know you're going to read ahead. There's good Bible students. But remember at the beginning when we're talking about Hezekiah and, and how he followed the Lord and he was so faithful and diligent in doing these things. And we talked about how the Assyrians came against the northern tribes because they were disobedient. But here we see them coming against the southern tribes and Hezekiah has been obedient. And that, and that doesn't seem to add up. That doesn't seem to make sense. Well, hang on a second. Isn't, there, isn't it all just supposed to be if we're following the Lord and everything, everything rosy and the sun always shining and, and no problems anywhere and, and all that? No. No, it's not. But we have this promise that he will never leave us and never forsake us. We have this promise that that he will never allow us to be tempted or tested beyond what we are able to get through in him as he walks through it with us. And we can look at, as we will next week, Lord willing, and he doesn't, doesn't rapture us all home, and then when we're there, we'll have the much better Bible study there. But that, that he gets more glory than if he'd have just kept them away. We'll see faith be strengthened. We'll see the things that can happen as we allow God to do what God, only God can do as we walk through it together. So read ahead, be praying about that, and we'll pick up there next week. Lord, we thank you for your word and the examples that are there for us. And Lord, we thank you for a man like Hezekiah in a time of, of great darkness, a great of great turning away from you, how this man raised up and one who loved you and one who wasn't, wasn't concerned about even potential backlashes. He stood in, in direct opposition to the, the way the nation was going, the way the culture was, but he stood up for you. Lord, we pray for leaders like Hezekiah. Lord, we pray that, that you would move mightily again in our time. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our country. Lord, we, we know that it's your desire to use us to affect the culture, the, the people around us. Lord, we, as we leave here tonight, Lord, we, we pray that, that you would give us opportunity to do just that, shine brightly for you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises your word that we can hold on to no matter what the enemy tries to tell us the lies that come from him how he tries to intimidate and come against but lord we know that greater are you but we know that because we are yours no weapon formed against us thank you for those
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.